Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, March 28th. We are here live. It's time for the Power Hour. We've got the team here from Pittsburgh Power. We're going to get to your calls and questions today as well. We're going to open the phone lines right now. So start dialing 855 950 3835. Jump in and join us. The phone lines will get busy. They always do. We're going to get started with Bruce today. Bruce, you're first up on the board. Good morning. Welcome back. Good morning, Kevin. As always, it's our pleasure to be here. I'm sorry I missed last week. Well, I understand you're on a plane. Yeah, sometimes the airplane schedules in our Radio show schedule doesn't coincide. Well, you're here this week. What's on your mind? Well, you know, we're all getting ready to go to Louisville, and we wish you would be joining us, but we understand. But I want to talk to some, I want to mention about some little things. You can save thousands of dollars in days of downtime by taking care of the little things on a truck. Now, I'm going to give you a couple for instances. And this is back when I was working in the shop. You know, we were down right along the Pennsylvania Turnpike, exactly one mile from the Turnpike in our two-bay facility. And it was a day or two before a major holiday, and this fellow from Baltimore, an owner-operator, come walking in with his fuel pump off his big cam cummins and he said to me i only have 66 dollars to get home to be with the family for the holiday and my truck won't run oh boy and even back then fuel pump was probably close to 300 dollars and i said well let's take a look i pulled it apart and i saw the governor plunger tab had snapped off so there was no governor on it put a new tab on it pressed the pin in roll pin on the arbor press which i still have in my pump room which was the very first tool i ever bought when i got in the diesel engine business wow so anyway yep still have it and the bill was sixteen dollars he was thrilled. He walked out of there, walked back to his truck, and uh, made it home for the holidays. Then one day I had Schneider. I used to do some road work for Schneider. They would always call me at 3 o'clock in the morning for some reason. I never got the calls during the day, just the nighttime ones. And these are the Cab Over Internationals, big cams. Do you remember as you would jack the cab up on those, you'd have the linkage rod. The rod would slide inside of a steel tube. Yeah. Yeah. Steel rod and a steel tube. We had to lubricate that. But the Schneider mechanics apparently didn't think you had to. So this cab over was towed into me for a new fuel pump. I didn't even bring it into shop. I jacked the cab up outside. As soon as I jacked the cab up, I saw the linkage wasn't sliding. So I took the one linkage rod off and wire wheeled it and put grease on it and put it back together. The fuel pump was fine. I charged him for 15 minutes of labor. <laughs> 15 minutes, quarter hour. 
and he got he was mad at me. Oh boy! Because <laughs> Schneider in Wisconsin was mad because he said it needed a fuel pump. I said, no, it doesn't need a fuel pump. I paid more money to have that towed in than when you charged me to fix it. I said, well, if you'd have called me, I'd have gone out in the road and looked at it. Yeah, I used to go out in the Pennsylvania Turnpike all the time. Yeah, and uh, so. That was another case. And there's a lot of cases where lubrication fixes problems. People just don't take the time. But now listen to this one. This is a, a client of ours. We don't see him very often, but I see him on Messenger. Tuesday, March 21st, 2023, in his 2014 Cascadia with 1,199,558 miles had five codes that wouldn't go away. Went in a TA truck stop. And they say the only people that can fix that is Freightliners to resolve the, they were EGR codes, to resolve the EGR codes. So he took the tractor over to Freightliner dealership, and I'm not going to mention the name because it's a group of them. And he was given an estimate of $5,431.07. Now, this is Tuesday. He paid them $228.12 for expedited freight to get the parts in so they could start on the truck on Thursday. So they said it was the flow, the EGR flow, and the EGR actuator learn span had issues. They found the EGR pull rod had failed, a rod that pulls on the EGR valve. So, this stuff is all ordered, and the customer then, oh, they told me he wasn't going to be out until next Tuesday. Seven days through a weekend down for this failure. Wow. So, he took it upon himself to go look at this EGR rod and saw there was a little nut on the back had wound off. He went to TA and bought a nut for $62, or 62 cents. <laughs> yeah. 62 cents. Put it on, tightened it up, took it for a ride. Three of the codes went away immediately, and as he drove the truck, the other two codes went away. As it was learning, again, the EGR travel. So he fixed the problem for 62 cents. He lost the $228.12. He had to pay labor for diagnostics work. And I don't know if he had to pay for the parts that were ordered that he didn't need. But he almost lost eight days of downtime at $1,000 a day. Wow. And plus the $5,431, plus the motel and plus food. So that's eight thousand and uh, say six thousand fourteen thousand dollar loss it would have been a sixty two cent nut. It pays to get under the hood of the truck. It pays to get under the truck on a creeper. It pays to get under there with a pressure washer and keep the underneath clean and look for frayed hoses. Look for things that are about to fail. You don't have to be mechanically inclined. You can learn, but you have to take the time to look. 
Yeah, we could we could teach somebody who's never turned a wrench how to spot something that's wrong. It's not that difficult, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's not that hard to learn. Uh, you know, the more I think about everything that's going on, part shortages, you know, the lack of really good technicians in shops, it's getting harder and harder to find. We just came through, well, the industry started to turn, you know, down in 08, say, um, late 07, early 08, went on into 09. We started to recover not long after that. And then we had this big run up, the longest in history, longest economic uh, expansion we've seen in history by far, exceeded the last one by several years. It's been really, really easy to make money as an owner operator. Crazy amounts of money in the last couple of years. We broke all kinds of records. We just came through about the easiest time I know of to own a truck and make money. I think we're about to head into the hardest time ever. I, I'm, I'm thinking we're in for some pretty rough times. And this is just one more piece of it. Trying to find good shops to keep your truck running right is not easy. Right. Shortly after I got into the engine business, December of 77, probably a year later, I was at a seminar and I ran into a Pennsylvania state trooper who owned a roller skating rink. So that's why he was at this seminar. It was for small businesses. And he said, Bruce, every nine years, our country goes into a recession. Well, we had one in 75, we had one in 83, we had one in 92, we had one in 2000, and then we had the 2007, 2008. And then then Obama slid through because he was on that nine-year run. And then when Trump became president, they said Trump's going to go through a recession. And by all rights, Trump should have gone through a recession. Right. Because... It was right at the beginning of his four-year term, was the nine years. But he's so smart as a businessman, he avoided it. And if he was still president, there still wouldn't be a recession because he's an astute businessman. He understands business. That's why we had those great times, and that's why there was no recession. Well, we're going to pay for it now. I, I the the signs are yeah. there. I've been tracking trucking bankruptcies are way higher than they should be right now, based on the rates and the volume. With the the rates and volume right now are not horrible. We're we're not at the bottom. Um, some stuff is is pretty depressed, but we're not near the bottom yet. And yet, trucking companies are dropping like flies. It's a shame. Yeah. It shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, so there was a guy on. I had to take his picture because I couldn't remember his name on a uh, on a television. And he works at the White House. Zolan Cano Youngs and White House correspondent, New York Times. He said, we've got to slow down this red-hot economy. See nuts? Well, no. What what they're worried about is inflation. And they need to be worried. And the problem was, 
all the money they spent, all the COVID money that just flooded everything. We had people getting way more unemployment. They were getting paid more than they did when they worked, but now they're just at home spending money on Amazon. We had owner operators, Bruce, that got twelve or $15,000 in PPP money. Now, you've been around this industry long enough. Have you known, I, I don't even have to ask the question, but have you known owner operators that have spent 20, 25, 30 years in the business and honestly have never had $12,000 in cash? Sure. I know plenty of that just sure. have never been able to accumulate ten mm-hmm. or $12,000 in cash. All of a sudden it was just handed to them. And then on top of that, some of them went back and got the, oh, what was the other loan they were, that one was actually a loan. PPP was forgiven. If you didn't get your PPP loan forgiven, you were an idiot. Everybody's was forgiven. All you had to do is fill out the paperwork. But then the other, the idle loan, that's what it was called. 30-year loan, if I remember right, it was 3% interest. That's it. So they're they're handing out mortgage-like loans, and you didn't have to do much to qualify for them. Bruce, some of these were eighty dollars to $100,000 to these owner-operators. They wow. were just able to borrow it for nothing. I mean, it's one thing when you borrow it to buy equipment, and the equipment is the uh, the collateral on the loan and you, you have to pay it back or, mm-hmm. you know, they come and take your equipment. These idle loans, a, a ton of these are not going to get paid back. That's our money. It's not going to get paid back. We know it is. There was a ton of fraud. But when you give people that much cash, that's what stimulated the economy so much that we have to worry about runaway inflation. And that's why they keep raising the interest rate, trying to slow that down, because that's when you do you remember stagflation in the late 70s when mortgages yes, were 16 percent. And the good well, news I was remember 22 percent. Wow. When I bought yeah. my first house, it was 22 percent with Jimmy Carter. It, that's in yeah. Yeah, the the. The guy agreed to carry the mortgage for me at 10%, and I was thrilled to get 10%. In 1981, when I bought that house. Yeah, you know, we used to have something back then called assumable mortgages. You hardly ever see those anymore. You would be able to assume somebody else's mortgage. You would just take it over, and that way you could keep some of those interest rates because who could afford a house at 20% interest? That's insane on a mortgage, but that that's what happened. And that's, that's what we were worried about. Again, that um, the same thing that happened in countries like Venezuela, their economies cruising along, doing great. It overheats. And then the next thing you know, their money is worthless. And, and that's what we were close to here. Let's go back to this supposedly red hot economy. When Trump was president, there was, and you, you had said there was 110,000 loads a day that didn't get moved up freight, right? Yeah, we were posting over, well over a million loads a day. That's how many were just on one load board, truckstop.com. So there was 110,000 a day that didn't get moved. Now, two years later, with the group we have now, we have 25% too many trucks. Right. That to me is not a red hot economy. Well, not anymore. No, 
No, that's the problem. It, it, that's where we start to get what's called stagflation. And that is, it's a really, it's hard to create the, the situation that creates stagflation. Inflation is one thing. Then if you slow down inflation, you should end up with a recession. And, the, and you know what? We just deal with it. That's the economic cycle. You go through it all the time. But this one, it, it, they've raised the interest rate. God, we're going on almost a year now. They've been working on raising the interest rate almost every month, and it still won't slow down. It's slowing down some, but not enough yet to, to stop the price increases and the shortages, and that's what we're worried about. We have help on its signs everywhere. Right. That's the weird thing. We have a, a slowing economy, yet it's still hard to hire people. Right. Okay. So let's go back to what I started with, the little things. We one time had a truck in. We talked about this a couple of years ago on the show. It had an electrical problem. He was at five or six different dealers took one of our engineers, I think it was 22 minutes to fix the problem. And I'm gonna leave where I talk about some of the, people say they need a new wiring harness, you just need a new end, end on the wiring harness or a slight repair. And then you recall, I was talking uh, a while back about the Freightliner that had the Caterpillar in it, the 3406E, and it wouldn't shut off, and Caterpillar and Freightliner told them to junk the truck, he would just disconnect the batteries every night. We had five hours in fixing that one. So, just the little things. Yep. Take care of the little things. Yep, that's for sure. My friend Carl, Carl Kellner, who's retired, um, his trucks would go up on his lift every Saturday, and he'd be underneath them with his blue paper towels, cleaning things off, looking for problems. He never once in all the years I've known him, he has never once called me with a breakdown or a problem with anything I ever sold him. And he had everything we had. So yeah, he and catches when, the little thing. When somebody takes that care of their truck, they're under it that often, they're clean. You're not going to have breakdowns. You're going to catch 99% of the stuff. You know, unless we're looking at things like internal engine failures from you know, metal fatigue. There, there's some things we can't predict, but most breakdowns, you can see them coming. Josh at Turnaround Transport, uh, he's their lead mechanic. It's, it's Jeff Nelson, you know Jeff from the CNCs. Yeah. And they have a two-page list that they go through at every service. I'm, I'm telling you, it's exhaustive. Wow. They sent me a copy of it. I was going to put it in the magazine, but it, it would take two pages of the magazine. <laughs> I don't have two pages. Yeah. It's, Josh put this together. I am shocked. Yeah. In fact, he's going to be doing the remote tunes for us at Louisville. He should bring some copies of that. And I just like to show people what they do. And they're another company. Their their trucks, you know, mostly three seventy nines, and they just run and run and run because they catch the little things. Yeah. Yep. Good theme. Okay. Get the little things. All right. Let's uh, 
Let's hear from Pete and Leroy. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Morning, Kevin. All right, something different this morning. I'm going to let you guys arm wrestle to see who goes first. Uh, Pete can go first. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't have a whole lot. <laughs> just you know, we're getting ready for the show. Um, you know, we'll be at uh, booth sixty nine two twelve, uh, like we have for years, and then also remote tunes. So Josh from Turnaround is going to be doing remote tunes. Anyone and wants one? They're discounted, right? And they are discounted. Um, give Josh a call. At, you know, call Turnaround at, uh, early and um, give him a heads up so he knows how to plan his day out. Sometimes we have quite a few tunes getting done, and uh, it makes it a little easier on him. Yeah. What, do you have his phone number to mention, P? Why don't you mention the phone number? I will look it up quick enough for us. Let me get it before you. Okay, go ahead and look up. And then also, so yesterday, if, if someone was trying to call us, we had a power outage. Our power went out um, Saturday evening from a windstorm. It didn't come back on until yesterday afternoon. So anyone that was trying to get hold of us, um, that that what was going on we didn't have any power here got it we had that happen last friday they uh, we knew we had a big tree i was mentioning uh, we run our own power system here in this tiny little town which is bizarre we have our own linemen everything and we had a tree that was about to come down on a line so they scheduled the repair and they told us the power would be out from 10 in the morning till roughly five in the afternoon or till they got it done so I'm thinking, all right, I'll just do the show till 10. I'll let everybody know at 10 o'clock, we're just going to quit. The power's going to go out. I could have wired everything up with a backup. I have backup batteries. And I thought, nah, we'll just do two hours, be done with it. That's enough. 940, the power goes off. You know, if you tell somebody you're going to do something at 10 o'clock, don't do it at 940. That just really bugged me. If you would have told me you were doing it at 940, I don't care. That's fine. Just tell me which time so I don't look like an idiot because my show goes off the air. Just uh, so We had a similar situation. So we, we get here. Um, uh, the alarm company called and said, hey, the alarm went off. You guys don't have any power. I'm like, okay, there's nothing we can do about the alarm because it's you know, right. no power. Yeah. It work Monday. And this was um, Saturday afternoon, evening, uh, get to work Monday, power's out. We call, power won't be on till 4 p.m. Tuesday. Are you sure? So we're, we're, you know, multiple phone calls. Yep, same answer. So we send everyone home, and Bill and I are still here, and 11 o'clock, power comes on. Now, had they known that, be closer, we would say, okay, let's keep the guys here. Um, you know, but when they're telling you, two days at the earliest I'm hoping for would be Monday late afternoon evening. So what's, they, what's going on in that area? I heard the same thing about Salem. And we used to have um, we had a house and a condo in Salem. I talked about, we just sold those. We still know people in that area. Their power was going to be off till like Wednesday of this week. Yeah, just high wind. We we a fifty mile an hour wind gust and um, oh, okay. yeah, there's a lot of trees. Got it. Area. Okay. If you're the power company, you just set low expectations. Because if you said <laughs> I'll be back on by eleven, I'm back on eleven thirty. Then you're a scumbag. Yeah. yeah. But if you set it by next week at four PM, then you're great. You're like, oh man. Yeah. They got plenty of uh, room there. Hey, I'm gonna give you an estimate. It's between twenty and forty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it just made and, it rough for, you know, 
Bill and I are trying to figure out, okay, what do we do? How do we get things going here? And then all of a sudden, power comes on. Well, and I understand you know, I that tried. you can't necessarily predict when you will get it fixed. So I get it. Give us a range. That's fine. You can absolutely tell me when you're going to turn it off to start the repair. And no, don't sure. get that one wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to uh, rent a generator. They will not rent the generator. You have to go through an electrician. And I said, we have three electrical engineers. I'm not an electrician. <laughs> hey. I said, look, there's three wires that come into the building. I know how to flip the switch to cut it so we don't backfeed. And then we just take a screwdriver and we loosen up those screws and put the other wire in and tighten them up. And we're in business. <laughs> but you uh, can't do that. No. So anyway, Josh Schaefer, Josh with Turnaround Transport, who will be doing our remote tunes. His phone number is 507-206-1078. Josh is also one of the guys in charge of the owner-operator snowmobile conference. Phenomenal snowmobiler. If you notice, that's a Minnesota prefix 507, but he lives in Moberly, Missouri now. Great mechanic, great guy. All right. Full of energy, full of life. There you go. Hey, um, Bruce, did you catch this morning their, uh, they poisoned the Delaware River? How'd they do that? 8,000 gallons of chemicals from a latex processing plant. You're kidding me. No, up near Philadelphia. So they came out and told everybody in Philadelphia, don't drink the water. There's an awful lot of people in Philadelphia, so there was clearly a run on the grocery stores, and there is no bottled water. So then they came out and said, oh, never mind. We tested it again. It's okay. Go ahead and drink it. We are from Philly, so yeah. you know, we don't mind here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they polluted the Delaware River. Yeah. Was this a, a defunct chemical company that was shut down? I don't think so. I haven't read the details, but I think it's a current latex processing plant. I don't know exactly what happened, but oh. they said it was just over 8,000 gallons. You know, I when the whole thing went on in East Palestine, I watched something really interesting. You watch the EPA, they go in, they walk up towards the edge of a river or a stream, and they reach in and they dip out a test tube and they go test it. And I watched a guy who developed good water testing techniques and he has these giant octopus looking sponge things with weights and he throws them way out into the middle of the river and he lets them sit out there for 24 hours and they gather the contaminants and then these long legs like the sponge legs that make this octopus looking thing, they starts clipping off the ends and then he throws it back out there and he can test what's actually happening in the water over long periods of time. And in East Palestine, he said, every river they tested and said was okay, I tested and it was nowhere near okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly, I, I'm glad I live where I live. We have some of the cleanest water I've ever seen coming out of our faucet. But if I lived anywhere else, I would just stop drinking water out of the faucet. Seriously. I wouldn't trust anybody anymore. Yeah. Pretty crazy. So, Leroy. Yep. Leroy, do you have anything to go on what I was talking about? Simple little things that could have been done to avoid problems. Dirty battery terminals, corroded ground straps. Any little things that trucks came in with problems that you guys were able to solve? Well, it's funny that you said that because that was actually my topic uh, that I had prepped for the day. And Kevin can even confirm it that our topic was easy switch fix. Um, so it was interesting when you brought up what can you do that is cheap and easy to fix. And what I was going to go into was I had a situation last week where I was able to fix a, a circuit board by just cleaning the switch, right? So it was a garage door opener. And on this garage door opener, there was three little buttons. And one of the buttons, when you would press it, it was, there was an LED that was supposed to come on. Two of them worked and one didn't. So you would think, all right, I have to tear the garage door opener apart. I have to unsolder the switch and then look at the part number on the back and then order it. But most likely being it's such a tiny switch, you probably have to order 10 of them. So you spend a bunch of money. They come, you solder the new one on and it's fixed. I said, hey, I've seen this multiple times where dirt just gets into switches that aren't sealed and it lays on the contacts and then you don't have a good connection. JR's Volvo Outback, they worked on it for, somebody else worked on it for 18 months and could not get the thing to start. We took the ignition key switch out, which is a little module, hosed it down with like a half a can of contact cleaner, just every nook and cranny inside there just sprayed it out put it back in and the car starts right we fixed the volvo we fixed this garage door opener i can think of another one on a semi truck and some of them when you look at the dash and you see all that dirt and dust covering the dash you just know behind there there's just dirt everywhere all through the switches i have fixed multiple switches on the dash causing cruise control issues jake issues headlight issues all sorts of issues related to switches. I just take them out, give them a nice healthy bath of contact cleaner. And I would say more than half of the time, we're able just to fix the switch by just cleaning it. You don't have to order another $80 switch. I mean, you use a half a can of contact cleaner, which is probably $3, but <laughs> either way, what it fixes you. What about sensors on the engine? How many uh, of those have we fixed okay. by cleaning? Yeah, sometimes depends on the sensor, uh, especially ones that see soot. Um, those are exposed to a little bit of a harsher environment than some temp sensors and things like that. 871 and 2250, 2350 ISX boost sensors, they're known to build up with soot on the end of the sensor. And it's a two-in-one sensor that has both manifold pressure and temperature sensors right in the middle. And if you look at it, you can see the small little temperature probe in the middle of the little plastic cage. Well, what happens is 
soot builds up on that sensor and makes a, a like a little soot jacket, a little insulating jacket, where the temperature on the outside of the soot is different than what the sensor is seeing. So then the ECM will interpret that as a lower temperature than what it actually is, modifies the timing, modifies the fueling, potentially fuel pressure, the way the VGT moves, depending on how far off it is, things like that. It's one 10 millimeter bolt. You pry the sensor out, you spray it off. If it's plugged with soot, put it back in and you can keep going. You should probably get two to 300,000 miles out of your sensors. And if you're not, then there's something else going wrong. Even if we're using the max mileage catalyst, you know, we're well, going to get up to 300,000 out of them. Well, if you run the catalyst from day one with a brand new sensor, then yeah, it'll last a lot longer. Okay. All right. But, uh, yeah, that was um, just some of the quick things that you can do if you ever have an issue with like your window switch doesn't work. Take it out and clean it. Uh, put it back in. There's no harm, no foul. Generally, they're pretty easy to get out. And I'd say most of the time it fixes it. There you go. If you're if you wind up windows, your windows and your doors are rattling, you can take the door panel off, take the, take it apart, and put the new felt track inside, and it makes it really tight. Uh, you can buy the new weather stripping for around the door on an older truck, and it'll really tighten that up. If you have uh, plastic on plastic like cabinets in the bunk, and there's a screw in there, and if it's a number eight screw, and it's rattling, take it out, put some clear silicone behind it, and put a number 10 screw in it, and that problem's gone. Sometimes the older trucks with vent windows would leak. Well, if you run an air conditioner most of the time, you don't open a vent window. Just take in silicone and glue it shut. No more leaks. And it reminds me when you, you were talking about your friend in the beginning that would put his truck on a lift and go underneath and clean everything. On a modern truck, what I would probably do is I would go through and unplug as many connectors as I could get easily access to and make sure that there's no corrosion in there, spray them out, put just a little bit of dielectric grease. You don't need a lot, just a little bit. I would do that on almost every connector to get my hands on. I can't tell you how many times we see just corroded pins or this or that. That could have been caught long before they became an issue. That's right. On... And the older peats, the 379s, if the windshields leak, it leaks down into the back of the fuse panel. It's not hard to stop by Peterbilt and get the new rubbers and put the rubbers in and put that flat piece of glass back in. I did it on my T600 in an RV parking lot. So, yeah. Also, if you really want to make your truck, what's it called, Dynamat, that they made for people building street rods if you have the door panels apart and you have the window out put dynamat in against the door skin and it really quiets things down yeah we used that on the uh, 96 dodge when we had um the back window was leaking so we we poured everything out to dry it up boy it made a big difference in sound really helps quiet it down yeah always remember that the rubber engine mounts 
do not live forever. They're not hard to replace on a lot of trucks, especially on the front. If you're on there putting a new torsional damper on like you should every half a million, you should replace those two round donuts. If you can get them in urethane, that's better, but if not, just get new ones from the truck manufacturer and put those in. All that stuff helps. Isolating exhaust systems for making sure it doesn't touch frame rails. And lubricant, spray, a good spray lubricant can save you a lot of money by keeping things, all moving parts, keep them lubricated. Uh, if you're going to be taking something off your truck, I'm trying to think of the fellow, he drove tanker in Vietnam, lost his high school ring in the Ho Chi Minh River, cleaning the U.S. Army tanker. He had two little Vietnamese girls that would help him, but... Uh, he has a W9 with a cat in it, and two weeks before he goes to take something off the truck, he sprays it. He sprays it a couple times a day. He said, like when he was changing his fifth wheel, you break the bolt loose and you can almost take it out with your fingers. He also carries a spare alternator. He was going through a small town in Texas one night. It was 1 o'clock in the morning. The alternator quit. He pulled under the street light a half hour later. He was going down a highway with his spare alternator on. That's the same thing. You, you, know, you don't have to be a mechanic to change an alternator. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead, Pete. I mean, just also putting things together, use anti-seize. Yep. You know, when I worked at the shop, I, I never assembled anything that didn't have anti-seize on it. It, it, you know, even if you're not working on it, the next guy works on it, it's going to come out a lot easier. Or mm -hmm. it'll be a mess. <laughs> yeah, it'd be neat about it, but it, it should use it. Easy enough to put on. All right. So we were all over the board jumping around between everybody. Did everybody say what they want to say? Yep. Yeah. Oh, good. All right. Let's, uh, hey, Kevin. Go ahead, Bruce. If you take care of the little things in your body, it takes care of the big things. If you take care of the little things in your semi-truck and your vehicles, it also takes care of the big things. Good rule to live by. Take care of the little things before they become big things. Mm-hmm. All right. Good message today. Let's, uh, let's go to the phones. Let's get started in Ohio. Joe, welcome to the program. How's everybody doing today? Good. What can we help you with? Yesterday, you and I were speaking about the gear sets in my Volvo. And um, when I got home, I decided to jump in the pickup. I ran down to the local boneyard. There's a 2018 Volvo Globetrotter that got hit in the mouth. But it got hit so hard, it actually bent the dry shaft. But I can get 246 gears or 264 gears, um, disc brakes, and the whole cutoff for $3,000 with super singles. That's but my concern point. is, what my concern is, what do I need to look for on that front uh, axle assembly to make sure that it didn't drive the dry shaft into it? What gear Volvo do you have? O2. Oh, two. And what engine? 12.7. Perfect. Perfect. 
What do you look for to see if the front diff is damaged because of the drive shaft? That's a good question. Yeah, it is. I think I would pull the axles and I would pull the pumpkin out and inspect it. And if you're over 45 years old, go stop and get a pair of the readers that are number 300. <laughs> that way you can see that. <laughs> Well, instead of doing that, I know, but wouldn't it be easier to stick blue machinist eye instead of the glasses? Well, you still want to do a good visual on it, right? I thought you was being sarcastic about the tracks. No, 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 no. I I, I use 150s now, and so when I want to see something really fine, I put two pair on. Don't laugh. You guys under 45, don't laugh. It's coming for you, too. I'm 50. We've met. I've sat in your office a couple times. Okay. Yeah, so you need your readers. Yeah, I can use my readers. Yeah. But that's what I do. And and if you want to be sure, take it to a a good differential shop and tell them the story and... and, uh, Tell them to give it a, a close look you know, and be willing to pay them a couple hours labor to, to look at it and maybe reassemble it for you after you take it apart. Aye, because, I mean, I'm not afraid to do the labor myself. The, I deal with it right. on a regular basis. I, I'm going to find parts for other people that he's doing me a deal because he doesn't, nobody wants it because they think that there's a fracture in it. Because whatever this sure. driver hit, he hit it very hard, and I don't think it was moving. <laughs> Because they had put the motor up in the almost up into the bed. Wow! So I'm kind of I'm kind of leery about it myself, but you know, then again, if I buy the whole assembly and say maybe I do have to buy the front section, I'm still under what Volvo wants. Oh, you're way under. There's there's no way you can get hurt buying that. If you have to buy a housing or if you, if you have to buy a, a drop in, um, you're still farther ahead. And you get now, the disc brakes. Um, you said it's got super singles. Oh, that that's yeah. a, you. That's a great deal. Yeah. Now back to the disc brakes. The, I don't have to change anything in my air assembly now. It's still in theory the exact same product. It's just you know the brake chambers are sideways instead of stepping forward, right? I no sensor, no four way valve or anything like that. I don't know. Um, Pete and Leroy, do you guys have any thought on that? How would you go about finding out if you have to change something? Uh, I would probably talk to a good Volvo mechanic. Yeah, those are getting hard to find. <laughs> Everybody wants money because they know they're a desired commodity now. I would have to assume Without- if it had that much damage that it bent the drive shaft, that it took that much of a front impact, I can't imagine that that differential is walking away unharmed. But then again, I fear it. Wait wait a second. We got a carrier bearing. It was the front section before the carrier bearing that bent, right? Yes. What about the from the carrier bearing back? It sheared the carrier bearing, but the the part of the die shaft that pretzeled was. Before the carrier bearing, you can see the second one is bent, but it's not crushed. 
Yeah. The carrier bearing looked like it absorbed a lot of the, the damage. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if it were me, I would probably just A, check for leaks, and then B, see if everything spins freely. And to me, without doing a bunch of inspections, and I, I feel like that once you start inspecting it and you tear it apart, then you're going to probably replace seals and this and that and bearings and all sorts of stuff. So I think it's either yeah, you, I, you I don't mind that. I think it's either you tear it apart, you replace everything anyway, or you just make sure it doesn't leak and it spins freely and you run it. Um, if it were me, I would probably just replace it. I mean, if, there, if it was me, I'd probably buy it. I think it sounds okay based off of how you describe it. Well, I guess I know where I'll be Saturday morning because I get to do maintenance on the, on the Volvo Friday and Saturday. Anyhow, the trailer's going in for maintenance. So I guess maybe I'll make a whole weekend out of it. You better uh, put a down payment on it right now because if other people are listening, they may run over there and grab it. I didn't get the location. <laughs> I know you didn't. <laughs> but, um, in, in southern Ohio, there's some good old boy boneyards that still exist where they, they sell by weight, not by value. So, I mean, this guy saved me a lot of money. You know, those first couple of years, you know, money was tight. You're walking the yard every Saturday morning looking for something you know is about to fail just to get you by until the next settlement comes in. I think I know what salvage yard you're talking about, too, so. But, yeah, I mean, I'll call, I'll call this afternoon. I'll tell him to put a hold on it, and I'll just hook the trailer up yep. for the pickup you know, Saturday morning and go get it. That's right. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for your input. And oh, I got your new banner for the remote tuning. Can I give you an idea for another one for us? Get one that says Pittsburgh Power Remote Tunes done here. Ask me how, because I'm going to start combing the the car or the the truck stops trying to generate some more revenue. Kevin and I talked about this a little bit yesterday. I've got a really good run, but I can only do one a day. I'm trying to supplement more. And uh, I was actually thinking about having a banner made, and I just I haven't got there yet. But I do have your guys' new banner, and I was thinking about making some poles, setting them in the stakes of the pickup bed, and just seeing what I can generate. Okay. Are you also a catalyst dealer? No, because, like, was, again, this goes back to my Kevin's conversation. Honestly, nobody in my neighborhood wants to do change. They fear it. I, I run it just so I don't roll coal. Like I've got your tune, your turbo. I've got everything you offer except for the manifold. And if I don't run catalyst going down the road, I'm I'm rolling coal at highway speeds. <laughs> I mean, it's is not black. I'm not marking out the sun, but is your Detroit a PX or an MX or PK or Actually, MK? I, I I've never looked. It's um, which it's on the sticker on the valve cover. Which one do I want? You want the BK, the Burger King. Okay. BK. But I love this truck with your your performance turbo. The uh, JR did the tune for me. It's a really fun truck to drive, but it's costing me a dollar eight a mile to operate because I'm heavy both ways, and I'm in eastern Ohio, southeast Ohio. It's uphill both ways. So I'm trying yeah. to find a way to generate you know, a little more revenue through the remote tuning and save a little bit of operating costs in the truck on my on my daily run. 
Do you know where Route 100 is? I do. I did a motorcycle ride with a group of owner-operators out of Akron. I had no idea you guys had that many hills and bends on one road in Ohio. Um, if you get a chance, get Southeast Ohio, 668, 664, 669. They all kind of start out of the same little village, and there's more poker runs in a week in that neighborhood that most people see in the summer. Really beautiful runs. Because everybody thinks of Ohio as fairly level, but, boy, that southeast corner certainly is not. Yes. And real quick, with these 264s, I know nice is going to be direct. Because I'm always heavy and I'm always pulling, the truck is really happy at the 1450 to 1550 RPM range. If I go through the transition with the 264s, and then when I find my 13 speed at 11th, it's back about where I'm going to land. The hey, air ratio to RPM. Charlie Beiser, who calls in a lot on, we put the 264s in his at. 1464 RPM, he's at 65. Perfect. I run about 62 because if I get any lower than that, I have to downshift in the ninth, and then I'm at 1700 RPM at 53. Yeah. At 62, you'll be around 1390. You may have to pick your speed up another two mile per hour. Do you want no, to be I'm up right over that. the 14? No, you should be okay with you. With the tune and the manifold and the terrible, you ought to be okay, Don, uh, in the high 13s. Yeah, I just try to validate my return on investment and, you know, make the truck enjoyable to drive. And I think that's the next step. That's right. All right, well, I'm going to get out of your guys' here. Thank you very much, and I'll let you have another call. You're welcome. Hey, call, call us. Call us, ask for Bill, and uh, send him a drawing of what you want this banner to look like, and let's take a look at it. There you go. We're going to head off to Idaho. Gary, welcome to the program. Hi there. I've got a 98 model 1LW cat engine. I've got your, the, the full tilt manifold, the HP turbo. The JR put a six and a quarter tune in it. It'll run 45 pounds of boost. That scares me. Is that a little too much? Should I have it tuned down just a little bit? How, how does the boost work? How does it develop? What okay. do you think? All right. Um, we can do that without turning it down. I think we need to go one size larger housing. You're out in Idaho. And are you up? Are you 80,000 pounds and less? 125,000 pounds. And you're 125, okay. And what speed do you drive? Oh, in 17th gear, it's running about 67. You know, just depends on how yeah. fast you I can go as fast as I want to go. You just try to limit it around that yeah. 65, 67. Call, call the parts department and order the 145 housing, turbine housing, and put it on. And then you call me and tell me the difference. Because you're using a lot of power because of your weight and where you are and your speed. So let's slow the turbo down by going larger on the turbine housing. Great. All right. Turbine house. And with the 145. So call and ask for Craig or Anthony. 
or Sean, and uh, let's get that off to you. And then you get on, get it on, and call me. Write down what, write down it on your cruising speeds, where you are boost wise, and where you are on certain grades, and make a note, mental note of how fast your boost got to be coming on really quick because of your weight. Yeah, and so it's kind of almost hard to uh, just feather into it. So let's slow the turbo down a little bit that way, okay? That's the first step. Okay. And you, you're going to feel it's going to run more free because you've got to use a whole lot more power than somebody at 80,000 or less. Right, it runs so nice now. The acceleration, the, <laughs> it's a very enjoyable to drive, so. Did you ever hear what Kevin said? I said that great running diesel engine produces a lot of adrenaline, and Kevin said, oh, there's two more chemicals. Dopamine, and what was the other one, Kevin? Endomorphines or something? Uh, well, yeah, they're all listed in that group. Serotonin, dopamine, all the, the feel-good chemicals. It, you know, it's possible that it even even generates some oxytocin. That's the really powerful love hormone. That's what attaches like a mother to a, a baby, oxytocin. Is that why guys, after you make the truck run good, they said, I love this truck. See, there you go. And that love word comes out a lot. But you also told me, Kevin, it was three times more addictive than cocaine. That's right. So a great run, a great running semi truck is a, is a very unique piece of equipment for how it makes the body feel. When you just ease into that pedal and you feel that left front tire torquing up, and one guy with the name Model Kenworth that did heavy haul told us he judged the torque by how far he could pull the hood away from the cow. Uh, speaking of this since we're on this topic as much as i hate to say this um leroy when my coach comes out of the shop we're gonna have to retune it okay here's why i was i was figuring out why i was struggling driving this thing so much now clearly it's hot i you know he's worried about 45 pounds of boost i can produce 60 um it's hot and I, but I thought, so what? I should be able to drive this just fine. I can't. And I, um, you know why? It finally dawned on me why I'm struggling with this so much. Anybody have a guess? You got used to the sprinter. No, you can't hear the engine. The only, can't hear the engine. The only way to drive this thing is by staring at the boost gauge constantly. Because you can't hear right. it, you can't feel it. You have no idea you're producing 60 pounds of boost. The new trucks are that quiet too, Kevin. You don't really hear them. Uh, the X-15s, uh, you, you, you somewhat feel them pull, but you don't hear. There's no roar. Like this, like the fellow that's on right now with the 47 pound of boost, and he gets up over 35, 38. He hears the roar. There's no roar out of the new trucks. Yeah, I hear my, nothing. My 2016, my 2016 Ram doesn't have any roar. My 95 oh, is. Oh, you were breaking up there, Leroy. Say that again. I was going to say, what we could do is add like 100 degrees of timing. 
I don't. Is any is everybody hearing Leroy okay, or is she breaking up? Is that yeah. on my end? No, no. There's a problem, Leroy. I heard him fine. I heard you guys. You hear us? Yeah, no. we hear you Bruce guys. Now you. It, Bruce it, is breaking. It's your audio, Pete you, and Leroy. It's breaking up. We'll check it out. Jordan. Check. Are you guys on the board? The audio board. The sound. Mm -hmm. Check all the connections. It's get it off the table. Does that help? It sounds to me like something's loose, like a, a connection, a wire, a connector. Sounds like something's loose. Anything? Pete, Leroy, did we lose? He's it? working on that now. Oh, okay. Plugging in. Uh, it's better. I didn't hear it there at all. We're back. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's all it was. He something was unplugging, was plugging stuff back in. Yeah, something was loose. Um, Clean the dirt out of stuff. So now go back hey, to dirt. Make oh, bad connection. That there, fix those switches, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so Leroy, what, what were you saying? If we would have looked at this ahead of time. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I was just making a joke anyway. I said that uh, if we add a bunch of timing to your engine, then you'll hear it. Oh, there we go. Okay. But, you know, yeah. We're not going to No, I, I, you know, I kind of no. liked it the way it was running yeah, we, and pulling, but I, I got, I, I'm like exhausted driving this thing. And I'm like, what is the problem? Why is this thing so hard to drive? And then I realized just because you can't hear it. Right. Why don't you put a little speaker under the bed <laughs> and a little microphone? <laughs> There no, you go. no, the a, a microphone around. under right. there and a little speaker, so, speaker you can, so you can hear it. That's an idea. But now that, you know, back in 97 when I started working on motorhomes, that, that's an issue. It is. God, the yeah. salesmen are telling people every time you start out, just push it to the floor. The computer takes care of everything. <laughs> and that is a lie. Yeah, it is. You know? And uh, you just don't do that. And the problem was is it's too quiet up there. Yeah, and I, I, I'm just not looking forward to doing a head gasket or a head on that truck, so I think we better tame it down right. a little bit. You know that one LW, that one LW cat that's on the line right now, whether it's a 5EK, one LWs, uh, those 70 or 40-pin cats, they, they were fun to drive, and they made lots of power. Yeah. And they had less EPA mandated items. So anytime anybody calls with a 40 pin and they get the tune and the manifold and turbo and do a damper and balancer, you know the next day they're going to be calling back and they're going to be high on life. And they're actually high. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful high. There you go. All right. We're going to roll through some more calls. We're off to Virginia. John, welcome to the program. Hey, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good. What can we help you with today? Hey, I'm calling. Yesterday, you had a caller that was uh, had an older truck out of the oil fields, and he was looking at Volvos and Cascadias for getting something uh, newer used, I guess you want to say. And he was, I guess one of the things on the Cascadia that he was worried about was the one box. Um, I just wanted to throw it out there. And of course, uh, I worked a lot with Leroy last year and the year prior on ours. Uh, we drive a big sleeper. Um, 
uh, Cascadia uh, 2018. And from day one, uh, I have been, you know, trying to keep this one box alive. Uh, in talking with him a lot, we got a tune. I did a uh, the uh, diesel force cleaning. We run the Catalyst tab for, I, I guess, three years or four years now. Um, and what I did is, especially right before we got the tune and the cleaning, um, or maybe it was right after, I can't remember, but uh, they can test the one box for the performance as far as the pressure coming in, the temps coming in and going out um, to kind of, you can gauge it to see, you know, if, if, it's, uh, if it's performing the way it needs to. And from what Leroy was telling me, and he can jump in and if I butcher this, um, a lot of what fails on the one box is the actual box itself. Um, sometimes the, the honeycomb piece that's attached to the front where your DPF filters are, they will, um, uh, you know, just fall apart. But if, if, if you go get these tested, when he's looking for one, whether it's a 2016, he can know ahead of time what the life is on that one box. Um, and, you know, I, myself, I just have a Freightliner dealership that has more than one dealership, so they get a larger, or they, they can actually get parts easier, especially when they tr- put a truck down uh, for, for work. So get that one box ordered. Uh, he might be able to walk away with a pretty good deal, but I, I don't know that I would, I would tell everybody not to be scared of these Cascadias. I've got 700,000 miles on, and I haven't even changed the DPF filters on this thing yet or had them cleaned. Um, my box runs really well, and the tune has helped that along with the diesel force and the, the catalyst. So I just wanted to throw that out there. I, I, I'm pretty sure I got that down, Leroy, right? That, that's pretty much what we talked about. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Um, there was one thing I wanted to touch on that you made a good point about. I just wanted to expand on it a little bit. So you said that when we have them here, we can test them. Um, and specifically with the one box, what happens is usually the SCR wears out or something happens to Correct. it. Well, it's built into the box and you can't, you can't fix it, right? You, you can't right. replace the SCR. You have to replace the entire box. Um, so I had a truck here a couple days ago, last week, I think end of last week. Anyways, we had put it on the dyno, and it had some complaints of after-treatment issues, and it had one inactive count for SCR conversion low. And what that basically means is the SCR is not doing its job of converting NOx to N2 and O2 and all those other sorts of things. So we put it on the dyno, and I was running it at once it came up the temp, I saw the engine out NOx, which is the NOx amount coming right out of the back of the turbo. And I was comparing it to the NOx sensor that comes right from the tailpipe from behind the SCR. So when you compare those two numbers, you can come up with an idea of how well the SCR is performing. If you see that it's 200 ppm or parts per million out and it's 20 um, on the other side, uh, at the tailpipe, then you know it's doing a 90% reduction in NOx emissions, which is fantastic, right? But if you see 200 ppm on the engine outside and you only see 100 ppm on the tailpipe, then you know the SCR is converting at 50%, which is not very good, 
And usually by that point, you'll start to get check engine light. So I had this one last week that when we were running it, you typically see at full power PPM out at around 20 to 50 or 60 PPM, right? When I was running this one, I was seeing two, 300, 400 PPM out with no check engine lights, mind you. And this, the, one of the other complaints was this thing uses a lot of DEF. Its DEF consumption was down to 50, 60 miles per gallon, which is terrible for this thing. It should be doing 150 to 180. But no check engine lights, keep in mind. So as far as you know, as I said, this thing just uses a lot of DEF. I don't know why. Well, now once we start looking at the numbers comparing the engine out to the tailpipe out, we can see that the SCR is not doing a very good job. So that's sort of the things that you can catch early without having a check engine light. This is the same principle applies whether it's an ISX, whether it's a Detroit, a Volvo, a Packard, anything, everything out there has knock sensors behind the turbo and at the tailpipe. That's just the way that they all work. It doesn't matter. And these sensor readings aren't proprietary. You have to come here and I have some special software that reads it. Most scanners and most scan tools have this sort of information. Uh, I know the OTR stuff has it. Uh, I think EasyLink you can pull it up on. Um, I don't think the scan gauge has it. I'm pretty sure it doesn't. But there's a lot of scan tools that you can buy without proprietary software and see for yourself that the SCR is supposed to convert at 75% or better. And you can just divide the out number by the inlet number, just compare those, and you can see right off the bat whether that SCR is good or not. Now, to finish the story about the one we had last week that was converting terribly, it ended up having, um, it looked like coolant got into the uh, SCR, ruined it. We actually have a photo on our Facebook and Instagram if anyone wants to go look at it. There's like a green tint to the face of the SCR. And when we compare that to any sort of reuse guidelines or anything like that, they also confirm that this is because of moisture. Um, and the customer let me know that they had a failed EGR cooler at one point. The dealer replaced the DPF and the DOC, but it seems like they didn't replace the SCR. That coolant got in there, ruined their SCR. But I mean, we could tell from the data that that part was bad before we even dug into it. Right, right. And I keep a Mac heavy-duty scanner on, on my truck, and it, and it measures all of those, the knock sensors, the one off the turbo, the ones through, the one box, and so on. And that's how I started watching it uh, from the beginning. But I just wanted to throw that out there and pass it on. Hopefully he's listening or anybody else. Um, you know, everybody's always been worried of these one boxes on the Cascadia's. And I tell you, uh, as long as you maintain it and you maintenance and you do, like you said, look, look at them, look at everything. Uh, you can catch a lot of things uh, ahead of time. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really crossing my fingers that I get well over 800,000 miles before I have to throw that one box in that I have sitting in storage. But at least I know I've got it and I know how to look and see what uh, what my performance is doing. So just educate yourself a little bit on these new freight liners before you call them, you know, hey, I'm not going to get one because of the one box. Whenever you go to yeah, change it, let us know and let us know the mileage so that uh, you may be onto something here. You're pretty sharp. And uh, uh, 
we we all learn from people like you so keep us informed yeah we'll do that we'll do it i appreciate all, all you guys have done to help me get to this point where we're at now so uh it's it's a little bit of combination effort here but i appreciate it i just wanted to pass that on i'll let you get on to the next one all right thanks for the call kevin Go kevin ahead, Bruce. Did you make a mental note of everything that Leroy just said? Do you got it planted in your brain? I think so. Is there going to be a test later? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think to make it even more simple, you, you can start. I would like uh, us to come to a point where we start to look at sensor values like we look at oil samples or like we look at uh, fuel mileage. There you go. If you know what your fuel mileage is on your truck, it's consistently, then all of a sudden it tanks, you know that you have an issue. Same thing with your boost gauge, same thing with your pyro. doesn't matter. Everyone knows what it is usually, and if you see an issue, then you can catch something early. We can do the same thing with knock sensor values or any sort of sensor values. You can see what they are typically. Watch them on your dash just like you watch all your other gauges, and if you see a big change in it, then you know you have an issue before it puts you on the side of the road. There you go. Oh, that's good. Good stuff. I like that, Leroy. Yeah, I do too. All right, let's go to Iowa. Matt, welcome. Good afternoon, gentlemen. What's on your so, mind today? Uh, the first caller with the uh, change in the rear axles with that correct um, one. Yeah. If the U-join is still there when he picks up the cutoff, I would take that U-join apart, the, the one right in front of the differential or power divider and look at them pins see if there's any damage to the u-joint that i would think would take damage first before the differential but you never know i, I agree uh, yeah that's a that's, good thought Matt. he was yeah he was asking about with the brakes what i did when i did my cutoff i got a o2 truck but i did a cutoff from a 16 so the biggest fear was the ABS valves and sensors and everything talking to my older truck. I just kept my same ABS valves. So I still got my O2 valves with their technology hooked to the truck. And then the sensors are all the same. They just plugged right in. Hmm. Must be working. I okay. Try splicing wires. And yeah, I, I've never had an issue with ABS. Good with my upgrade. So that would be my recommendation. Now switching to disc brakes, I don't know if he's got more complication there or not, but I don't have any experience, so I can't speak. Yeah, I don't know um, either. I have a friend that could probably answer that for us, uh, going from the drums to the discs. Is it a different valve and the dash or something? And uh, if he calls me, I'll give him the guy's name and phone number. Uh, the main reason for my call in the, in the open, you, Kevin, you were talking about economic stuff, and it's the idle loan is the big loan that they were giving out, right. COVID relief. Right. Which it, it's E it's E I D L I believe that sounds it was right. Economic impact disaster loan. something loan. I a think lot of people yeah. Are calling it the ELD loan. Yep. Yeah, ELD yep. loan. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but, but here's what makes that whole thing even worse than 
you know, we were talking about in the beginning how bad of an idea it was. So if you remember right, the first three years of that loan was interest only. Oh, yeah. Well, that's guess right. what's coming up this the, year? The, yeah, three we're in the years. third year. Yeah. Um, Your payments are going up now as the economy is going down. You know, and those are pretty significant payments. I mean, that's not a small, even though it's yeah. 30 years in low interest, it's still a fairly significant payment. No. And yeah, it just depends whole, on, on... The whole concept of it was bad. Yeah, it really was. Now, if somebody stuck all the money in the bank and they're just going to pay it back out of the, the proceeds, I guess they'll they'll be safe. It's stupid. You end up losing a lot of money that way. But um, I, it, this is just what created this bizarre situation we're in right now. This is why economists are having such a hard time predicting what's going to happen. We've never seen a cycle like this because of all that money that just kept being pumped into this economy. And now we just have to sit back and wait and see what's going to happen. Well, yeah, I've been watching a lot of financial stuff lately and it's Pretty interesting, all the different opinions out there. And, it's you know, the, yeah, it is. I've got all my own opinion, over the but we don't know where it's really going to go. <laughs> I know it's all over yep. the board, <laughs> um, and it's you know none of the numbers are making sense. So um, hopefully, people are prepared, and we just have to wait and see. Yeah, who's the who's the guy? Is it his last name Payne that has the really clean glasses? Charles uh, Payne, black fella. Yeah, Charles that Payne comes yeah. on on Barney. Yeah. I I like his. I think he's really sharp. I, I, does Charles Payne have his own show somewhere? I think he might on Fox Business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's he's a he's really right on. He's got a book out right now. I haven't read it yet, but I was thinking about reading it. Yeah, his his yeah, advice. He is sharp. Yeah. And that and he, um, he, he's down to earth too. Yeah. I, I just really like, appreciate that guy. I would like to know how he gets those glasses that clean too. My gosh, <laughs> glasses sparkle. I can't think of it as Peter Zihan or what the guy that wrote the book. Uh, the end of the world is just the beginning. Zihan, yeah. I don't know what it is, but for some reason, his stuff is popping up. In um in my searches and or feeds and but you know, I did see a YouTube video where somebody basically did a review of that book. It wasn't him, okay, but it was somebody else and put up graphs and you know the the picture side of it. I think added quite a bit to the story. Okay, and I I'll, I'll go dig it up so I watch it so I can look it up and I'll post that it, on Trucking Tribe because. You know, as, I thought it was pretty interesting. As crazy as his premise is, I'm starting to see more and more evidence that it might actually be coming true. Well, and it's you can start drawing all the connections. This is the whole reason China Taiwan issue and the Straits of Taiwan with the with the shipping issue. And now with right. China and Russia kind of joining forces, and <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, the worldwide, you know, the you know, 
the supply chain worldwide is, is changing. Something he didn't well. address in the book that would be interesting to have him go back and, and cover. You know, he talks about if this occurs, if we, you know, if the worldwide shipping collapses and we've got to kind of survive with our own resources, he talked about how well positioned the U.S. is and how poorly positioned China was. Russia was, you know, better than China, not as good as the U.S. I'd love to hear him address what about a collaboration between China and Russia? Does that solve their issues? Like China has a huge navy, but their ships aren't capable of going that far. But would Russia make up the difference if those two joined forces? Yeah, and what I've heard, they're really only joining forces and doing things that they have to. For the sounds of it, they're kind of historically, you know, mortal enemies, and they want nothing to do with each other. But they're which is they're joining forces because they have, and it's which the is same worse. thing. Russia. That that's actually worse the, if the you think about it. The land that Russia's. Yeah, that that. Because it well, becomes volatile. Hitler, Mussolini, if, you know, right. Yeah, if if they, we knew that they, didn't they were like each other, but, right, if we knew that they were cooperating and everything was fine, then you know what to expect. But when you see them cooperating, but no, they really don't like each other, then it throws a whole new twist in there. What might happen? Oh, yeah, that was one other thing I watched too. I, I realize this has nothing to do with the power hour, but um, well, it kind of does because the, the I, Russia. I, started bringing this up because of the economy. I mean, all of this stuff has a huge impact on the economy and we're talking to business owners. We got to pay attention to this stuff. It's, it's kind of a, um, they're looking for good defense lines with the, the topographical area over there. So they're, they're trying to absorb all the flatter land back to the mountain ridges that's why you know years ago they invaded georgia and now they're in ukraine because they're trying to get defensible with the mountain ranges that nobody could just come straight across the flat land with an army headed right for moscow yeah you know one thing i i worry about with this pete you might be able to help us out here if you were to look at you have a pretty good handle on the trucking supply chain the stuff we need to keep trucks running, supplies, parts, lubricants, that kind of stuff. How much of that stuff comes from China? I'd say quite a bit of it. China and India. And India's kind of rocky with us right now. Yeah, you know. Not really, they like us when we give them stuff. You know, we, we're not in the best um the, them either the the truck shows coming up and we all watched that pattern if you go back far enough there were like zero chinese companies at the louisville truck show and then all of a sudden it's so big it's like they need their own wing they have their own section yeah yeah the pandemic um tighten that up yeah any last year there wasn't many but i would imagine this year it will be more than last year just because of so know, that's easier to travel and so forth that's one of the reasons i pay attention to this if we get into some sort of a conflict with china what's going to happen to our supply chain oh that and race don't make anything here right i know 
the the shipping lanes for containers from Shanghai or I don't remember which port they used to LA in 2019 was around two thousand dollars a container, and we know they went just stupid crazy in between here and there of you know up to twenty thousand dollars on the spot. The the freight coming out of China is so slow right now. They're actually parking ships, but right now the spot market rate is fifteen hundred dollars. Cheaper than it was in nineteen to move wow. container. Yeah. But they they just they don't have the freight. Their their docks are now piled up with empty containers. They right. can't move nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried more about the supply chain now than ever. If we think we're through the worst of it, I don't think so at all. I think we've got some supply chain issues coming up. Hey, Matt, I'm looking at the, uh, the calls here, and they're starting to pile up. We're going to head off to California. Brandy, welcome to the program. Oop, let me try that again. There we go. Brandy, Hello? go ahead. Yep, you're there. All right. Uh, Bruce, for your eyes, I have issues with my eyes, too. I use my smartphone. I take a picture of it, and then I blow it up. Um, and then I heard uh, this question on click and clack, since you you might have a solution for it, but it would be great if you do. So I have a 2002 uh, book. Bruce, Bruce had to step away for a second. That, well, oh, that's were, okay, you were Debbie. You can, him, Debbie, you can fill in for him. I don't, Jump in. I, I doubt it. <laughs> I think you could. Hey, put put Bentley okay. on. There. We'll talk to Bentley instead. <laughs> yeah, well, we're okay. Okay. I know. Yeah. All right, go ahead. Um, we're, we're, we're. Click and Clack had had this question, and uh, it's about the felt, you know, on the ceiling of your car that starts to fall out off after the glue goes bad. And I just thought, is it possible that he's come across something that, that that's a fix? Other than, you know, with click and clack, says you have to take, put a hole in it, and then you glue it, and then you push it back. But um, that doesn't look very nice. The fix for this is don't leave your car out in the hot sun. Well, when you're not driving, you know, and when it's... And that's basically what it is. I, I've got more damage by not driving than I have. No, absolutely. By driving. A, a, a simple, you know, if you don't have a garage or a carport, a simple little uh, fabric cover of some kind, anything to keep the the roof of that car out of the direct sun, and that will almost never happen. Okay. Well, that is a solution then. All right. Well, I mean, it's after the fact, but okay. Well, yeah, as far as fixing it, I you know, you either take the whole headliner down and put in a new one, or you do the thing where you poke a little hole, squirt some glue up there, spread it around, and usually you can't see the hole when you're done anyway. Okay. If they make right. little um, tacks that are, um, it's not a straight tack, it's kind of a corkscrew type of thing. You like a staple. Oh, yeah. But you just staple it back up. Nah, it's yeah. better than staple. I mean, it's better. I mean, it's just like it really the only fix is to remove it and and replace it, which is involved. It or, is. I yeah. know um, I've had some older vehicles where I buy these, you buy a dozen at a time, and they're not intrusive. I mean, it's better than it hanging down. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if the vehicle is in good shape, let it get it fixed right. If not, eh, that works. There you we'll, go. We've used we're, that. I've just stapled them back up. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I just tear the whole thing down. 
Here's another fix. Who needs it? Yeah. Well, then you get like the little uh, pieces that float down. Yeah, that's interesting. Let's uh, let's go to Minnesota. Jackie, am I reading this right? Yeah, you are. I really, Jackie got a new truck. Come on. Well, I don't know. Can we really call it new? It's seven months older than mine, so. No way, really? really? New or not. That, so before we talk yeah. about your new truck, tell everybody the history of your current truck. Just just give us the Reader's Digest um, version. When did you get it? How long have you had it? Okay, Reader's Digest version. Quick, I was with Covenant Transport. I had been with them almost a year. I was hauling air freight. My truck that I had that I was driving currently had too much miles. They were like, don't tell the air freight company how many miles are on it. And finally, they said, we're going to get you a new truck. So they got me a new truck. It was a year old when I got it. I was issued it in February of 2002. Um, it had 227,000 miles on it. So I drove it for three years. They're like, well, time to trade the truck. You got to get a new Columbia. I'm like, I don't want a crappy Columbia. I want to keep this truck. I'm going to buy it. So I bought that truck in March of 2005. And I still have it to this day. So, yeah, 21 years in the same truck. It's got a little over 2 million miles on it, complete. So I put 1.8 on it myself. That's awesome. And it's been a great truck. It has great solid, truck. excellent fuel economy. Still looks beautiful. Your trailer's painted to match. It's just a uh, really nice setup. And it's an FLD. Uh, that's why it lasted so yep. long. That that was such a solid truck. They Jackie. are. They really are. Jackie, is it still spotless inside? Of course it oh, yeah. is. Of course. <laughs> yeah, the, like the shop doesn't drive it in. Um, they don't even want to get inside it. So, yeah, I always drive it in because I don't wear any shoes or, or anything. So, yeah, it's still. So you said you were buying another truck? So I got another truck. I've got a 2000 FLD. Um, it looks almost identical to mine. It's white. Um, and then of course, Bruce, you already know this cause I messaged you the other day. It's got the BK, whereas mine had the MK. What's the difference on the inside? Because like Detroit lists it as a premium engine where it lists mine as a standard engine. What's the difference on the inside? The, uh, nothing other than the compression ratio is lower. Okay. And that's why they smoke. No, the, no, just the pistons. Okay. So the, your your current truck is it a MK? Yeah, mine's an MK. Does it does it smoke whenever you first start it till it warms up? Um, no. The only time I ever really see any smoke out of that is like if it's super cold and everybody's trucks are smoking at that point. Like sure. you, know, you can see the trails on trailers and stuff like that from the white smoke. But if it's sixty seventy degrees and you start it after it's been sitting. There's no smoke. No, uh-uh, no. That truck's never smoked. Okay. Only the one you bought any it. smoke out of it is if I had to idle it, you know, and then, of course, the terminal yeah. slubber, idle slubber, they'd call it. The one that you bought, is it a BK? It's a BK, yep. Why did you buy this other truck? Um, Because I need some parts for mine that I cannot get. Like the factory is saying that they might not make them at all. They're discontinued. And then yeah. they're being really wishy-washy about some of this stuff with the body shop. And um, he's like, yeah, they're saying either stuff is discontinued or 
if it isn't discontinued, the other stuff is going to take 60 to 70 days to get. And I've already got all the frame rails. I, I ordered the frame rails and stuff for it back in, in November because I wasn't going to do a cutoff like Matt did. I wanted to do the entire thing. So I've got all the frame rails, cross members, huck bolts, all that stuff um, that I bought to do that. But now I need some stuff like a cab. Um, there's a bracket on the cab that's for the airbags. And the bottom one we got, the cross member, but the top one, it goes to the cab. And it's been bent, like, when I first got this truck, I never met the team that drove it, but the mattresses had, like, this big U-shape in the middle. So I want to say these drivers must have been humongous. So over the years, that bracket has bent, and now it won't hold the airbags. So I can't drive it without the airbags, like, popping out or whatever. So you and, bought this uh, truck as a parts truck? I, you know, I bought this truck to drive it and then fix mine. I talked to somebody. I don't want to like say any names of who I talked to because they don't do this for anybody. They only do it for their own, and um, but they're willing to do my truck. And um, but it's going to be time, you know. And I don't have time sure. with my customer. I've got a dedicated yeah. lane, so I got to take care uh, of my see. customer. So I found this truck. So you bought this truck to drive while you're redoing yours, your existing yeah. truck. That's a right. smart it's, thing to do. Yeah, yes, and I'm is. not completely decided if I'm going to do my truck or not. I mean, at least at the worst case scenario, I have two trucks if I need parts, you know, because there's a lot of good stuff on mine. Dad doesn't care. He's like, we can just put it beside the garage and it can sit there forever. <laughs> so, you know, I've I'm, got options of... How many miles are on the truck you bought? It's got over 2 million as well. Now, the engine was overhauled in December of 2000, and it's only got 111,000 miles on the rebuild. Not knowing the truck you bought, I, but knowing your existing truck, I would stay with the existing truck. And after, after you're done putting the frame rails in, use the truck you just bought as a donor truck for parts. That's what I would do. Yeah, that was kind of a thought, you know, but everybody's like, man, that truck is too nice to part out because the one that I bought is, is really nice. I mean, the guy, oh. he took care of it looks-wise. He didn't take care of a lot of things mechanical. Like you guys were talking earlier, the small things. So mm -hmm. we went, and when, it, when I first got up to the truck, I'm looking at the tires. Dad's like, oh, there's something wrong with the alignment. The tires are all messed up. And I looked at the tires, and I go, that's not alignment. That's low air pressure. He's like, oh, bullshit. That's alignment. I go, well, watch this. I snapped a picture of all the tires. I text them to Chad. Chad email, or texts me back, and he's like, low air pressure. I go, Dad, see? Look, it's low air pressure. One of the tires had freaking 25 pounds of pressure in it. The rest of them were between 70 and 80. And this guy hauled dry bulk tanker. Yikes. It's the little things, right? It's the little things. It's the little things. We go back and pull one of the um, one of the things on the air tank there, the drain, and you could take a shower with the water. And it reminded <laughs> me of poor Dale Howard being underneath these trucks of the CMC, and sometimes he'd pull that line and get a shower. Yeah. You know, that's exactly what it was. I was like, damn, you know, all the water in the system and all this stuff. But um, Jackie, one of your quotes that I'll never forget is, <clears throat> as a lady... You could teach a lot of men how to make money with a truck. Do you yeah. remember when she said that, Kevin? Oh, yeah. 
I think we oh, were yeah. standing there at a truck show. Yep. Yeah. That was a long time ago. Long time ago. Still true. You got to be careful what you say and mean what you say because people like me remember those things. That's right. Right? Well, speaking of making money, I need to spend some money. So, what's up with this Pittsburgh Power? I look at the website and there ain't no turbos. So, I got to steal my turbo off my truck to put it on this thing because it's got the wastegated one on there still. Pete? Pete? <laughs> uh, let me see if they're on back order. You know how getting parts nowadays is a problem. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's showing I have four in stock. The website's okay. just not updated. Yeah. Do you want to put your name on one? So I do have them. Yeah. Put Jackie. Put Jackie's yeah, name on one so it doesn't disappear. Right, because I don't want to steal. You know, I, can I do don't want to steal the stuff off my truck right now. You know what I mean? Because I'll be like, okay, I need a manifold. I need a turbo. <laughs> Damper and balancer. Yeah, you know, because who knows when it was changed. I doubt it's ever been changed, you know? Sure, it has. It changes them. Probably in that one. Only us. Only the people listen to this show. And I probably changed the one on my truck, you know, more than I had to because I would only go five years on it. Jackie? 250,000 miles. Huh? As you listen to this show, years ago when Kevin and I got started, it was problem after problem after problem. We're not seeing those problems like we used to. No. Bruce, that's the thing right there. That's what got me on that crankshaft damper because you said one thing when you were talking to Kevin about the crankshaft damper and changing it, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, my God, I need to get one of these. And you said air conditioner bracket. I would break the air conditioner bracket on my truck. It was like religious. You can set the clock by it once a year. Boom, it would bust. And the shop was just like, I don't know what's going on. The air conditioner itself would break off. Like the corner of it with dog ears. Yep. It would come mm-hmm. up. We put new brackets. We put all sorts of things. We're like, okay, this is going to be good now this time. Next time, it's going to be fine. One year to the date, boom, it would break right off. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. And the shop didn't know either. And you talked about that. Air conditioner brackets, alternator brackets, stuff like that, you said. And I go, air conditioner bracket, I wonder if that's it. And I've put, I put the crankshaft damper on not long after that. And I have never busted an AC off since then. Isn't that, that amazing? Isn't so, that amazing, huh? And yet all these mechanics <laughs> and all these shops, we never replace those. And, you know, a freight liner came in one day with an N14, and we told him to hood, and he had a, he came in for a clutch, actually, and he was an ex-forklift mechanic. He came in, and there was a two-inch ratchet binder holding his air conditioning compressor to the engine. <laughs> and I said, "What in the hell is that?" Yeah, he says, "I can't keep, I can't keep, but keep stripping out the bolts." And then he said, "I hope your clutch holds up better than these Eatons. I only get 145,000 out of an Eaton." I said, "What happens to it?" He said, "The springs get knocked out of the clutch disc." I said, "You're a mechanic." I'm thinking, "Are you driving that rough?" Mechanics usually drive really easy. It wasn't that. I said, when did you change that damper? Yeah. Never Silence. <laughs> right. So we well, fixed the front cover and, and uh, drilled and tapped it and put heat coils in it and fixed his air conditioning compressor, put a new damper and balancer on it, put a new clutch in it. All his problems went away. 
the little things I mean. It's basically a, a torsional damper is like a shock absorber to an engine. It takes out that shock of that piston being bottomed out. Bruce, the first time that that AC busted up, it was still Covenant's truck. It was still a company truck. It, so it was just a little after 500000 And what mileage do you tell us to replace the crankshaft damper? 500. Exactly. So, so the Cummins engineer, that they, when they used to rebuild them, and now they've uh, found a way to bring the price down so they, it's more economical just to make new ones. I was standing there in Memphis, Tennessee, back in the mid-80s, watching them rebuild them. I'm talking to one of the engineers, and he's showing me the silicon and the Teflon that's inside. And He said uh, they actually start to fail at 380,000 miles. And he said, if I was an owner-operator, I'd be changing mine at 300. Now, yeah, mid-80s. Because I just do it in five years. So that's that's mid eighties. Okay, look look where chemicals have come. Just ask Dr. Jane Gates with the catalyst. Look where chemicals have come in the last thirty five, thirty eight years, forty years. Look where plastic has come since I was a kid. Plastic toys broke usually the first day you bought them. Not plastic. Mm-hmm. You can beat it with a hatchet and you don't break it. So. Chemicals and chemicals make plastic have come a long way, and so is silicons. Um, Kevin, when you were young and you had your body shop, if you'd go into a body shop supplier or an auto parts, you didn't see all these tubes of silicone sealants, did you? No. No, they were all no. just the... Now you go in, and my God, there's so many... There's so many different silicone sealants, you have to sit, stand there, and put your reading glasses on and study and see which one you want. But back when we were young, there was no such thing. Right. What about power boxes? Can you still, um, do you guys still have a harness for the power box? Yes. Or Still have okay. parts. I still have the other one, too, that I need to send to you guys at some point to have that one... Um, and fixed on it, but yeah, I was like, I don't want to take it out of my truck, but I can get another harness and rewire the new truck with it, and then I just take the box out. Because right. Bruce, you can't drive, and on, you know you can't be unhappy driving your truck. And my truck certainly puts a smile on my face because that guy was scared of forty-five pounds of boost. My twelve-seven four-thirty Detroit from the factory puts out fifty-four pounds of boost. <laughs> 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 well, wait, if it's putting out, putting out, wait. Yeah, don't do the, you're don't do the calculation say, on that, Bruce. <laughs> wait, you're saying the one that you're, your current truck, not the one you my just truck. bought. Right, yeah, not the one we bought. I don't even call that my truck yet. I don't feel like it's my truck. Right, right now, I feel like it's my dad's truck because he's the only one that's driven it. We went down to Georgia, okay. he drove it home. We took it to the shop. So, so your, 12, your 12 7 will make 57 pounds. 54, 54. Wow, that's a lot. It's mostly around 45, but if I ever get crazy and want to show off, I think 54 is the highest I've ever seen. Is that on power level 9? No, it's not even using the power box. That's the the crazy part. It's just the ECM. It's that crazy one that Fernando tuned many, many years ago. It's basically washed all the paint off my trailer. You look at my trailer now, it doesn't look as nice as it used to anymore. It's all fuel washed. I'm doing a calculation. 
At 54 pounds, at, at 54 pounds, you're approaching 900 horsepower. Yeah, it's it's unreal. Most of the time, I got to back out of it because the EGT just goes above 1300. Do you want to do you want to tell the people about the story? Hey. Have you uh, getting what? I, Bruce, I was just gonna clarify something since I was talking about 60 pounds of boost earlier. So just so people don't think I have 1200 horsepower, that's the twin turbo Acer is why I'm getting twin 60. Turbo. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. You want to race Kevin? Yeah. I told dad today I'd race the new oxtail because he's like, well, this thing has a lot of power. I go, well, you want to race? Yeah. Let's go on the highway. We'll, we'll race. <laughs> well, let's talk to him about your dad had the Kawasaki 1500 Balkan motorcycle and he was following you. You were bobtailing and you were getting on the interstate and he was following back. And what did you call him on the, on his, uh, portable phone and say, where are you, Dad? And he said, I can't keep up. He was actually ahead of me, and he had his headset on. He was talking to my mom on the phone because mom was riding with me. We were going to Detroit to get my overhead set, actually. And uh, so he had gotten beside me, and he goes to take off. And I go, oh, we're going to play like that, are we? Okay. So I gasped on it, too, and I caught him and passed him, and then he couldn't catch me. I thought he was just screwing with me, but he called me. He was talking to mom on the phone, and he's laughing his ass off. He's like, I can't catch her. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I had another guy, the guy that I started the uh, owner-operator snowmobile conference with. He was Traverse City, Michigan. Had a Volvo with a D-Deck 4 with our parts in it and the power box, and he said when he would bobtail, he ran on power level 9. I said, why? He said, because when I'm coming up on the interstate, people don't want to let me in, and people want to pass me and cut over in front of me, and that bothers me. He said, so now when they want to pass me, I, I just roll into the throttle, and he said, they stay with me till about 95 mile an hour, and then I just leave them. And, but yeah, and that was before he, the ECM tune, so that was on power level nine on that day with Dad and her motorcycle. Yeah. But ever since and then he also said that uh, he, he pulls, uh, he runs it on power level three to, uh, or four when he's hauling freight, but uh, power level nine bobtailing. Yeah, if I needed, you know, now with the ECM tune, if I need anything, it would be level three. But most of the time I would just leave it on level one to, what did you say, take out the any of the bad settings or whatever that mm -hmm. might be left over. All right, Jackie, you know, like keep us uh, keep us updated on this new truck and, and what's going on. We're going to get back to the calls. They're starting to pile up. We're going to go to Colorado. Patrick, welcome to the program. Morning, guys. So, Bruce and Pete, this is kind of for you. I, I think Leroy might know something, too. But So, one of my customers in Cheyenne there, he's got an Acer cat putting about 54 pounds out on the boost side. The damn turbo, you know, when, when they, when the single turbo started to chuff, when you'd let off the throttle at like 1100, 1150 RPMs, that was kind of normal. You knew kind of not to do that anymore, but these Acer, this Acer is giving him problems now. He's geared out at 370. We put a Leroy or a, a JR tune in it, so he's got to be in that oh 675, seven and a quarter range. 
It's exactly at 675 right now. I, I did the calculation as soon as you told me the boost, so. Well, and that's and that's at altitude, so, you know, it just depends on where he goes. But anyway, so so we get to tune in. When he bought the truck, the IVAs were backed off, so that was a bad thing. So we got we got them re, redone on that, and now this thing is chuffing. So now he, and, and before he calls me, he goes and puts a set of turbos on this thing. Well, it's still chuffing. And it chuffs at 16, 17, and in, in he's gear bound. He's at three, he's got 370 gears, so he's always over 1,500 all the time because uh, he's hauling 100,000 on a four axle cow trailer. So he's, and he's got his foot in it a lot. So my question is, why would this thing be chuffing at when, when you got your fuel to the, to the, when you got your fuel down? And you're climbing a hill. Why would this thing be acting like it's either not getting enough air or getting too much air? Any idea? <laughs> well, one, we can't get we can't get too much air. So I mean, that that can't happen on a diesel. I mean, it'll take as much air as you can shove in there. Um, right. uh, one thing, something that's easy to check. Let's make sure the wastegate on that because the one turbo on the twin setup is wastegated. Let's make sure there's not an issue okay. there. And if that's what, turbo, what it takes. That's exactly what I was going to say, Pete. I think oh, it's oh, the wastegate oh, oh. opening. Okay, well, he went out and spent $8,000 on two brand new turbos. So they had to have a different wastegate, right? That doesn't come separate. Right, but I would still check it. I mean, again, we, we checked the, the, the easy stuff. Um, and just see what's happening. I mean, let's let's roll that out. Let's start rolling stuff out. You know, we put air into it. Is it moving um, smoothly? Does it return and you know close like it's supposed to? For um, what it takes, it's a, it's a ten minute test it and roll that out. All right. Well, I'm gonna get. And I would probably check. And I would check. Again, so you know, when we're finding issues like this, uh, a lot of times. I like to like, okay, let's roll things out. So the wastegate would be one, um, easy enough, simple, very little time test that. Second thing, while the truck's acting up, you have a fuel pressure, fuel restriction gauge on the truck, go for a ride. And when it acts up, let's see, you know, is pressure dropping? Is fuel restriction spiking? Do we have any issues there? If not, then, okay, let's not worry about the fuel pumping behind. It's not an issue. We don't need to look there anymore. Um, and continue on looking at different things. So those are two, you know, all those things combined. <laughs> you might have an hour in checking that stuff out. And then at least right. you can roll that out as being an issue. Okay. And then I've, I've got another customer with an X-15 that we tuned here a couple of years ago. And his operation changed. And he's out in Utah. And this, and, and now he's heavier than what he was. He was around 80,000 loaded with a flatbed. Now he's around between 115 and 124, five. Uh, and, and that thing isn't going to act the same. I mean, we can all agree on that. So for that guy out there, what, 
what what do you think we do for that X15? Any any ideas or any kind of direction that we need to go? And it's one of the first gens. It's an 18. That was that they came out with that late 17 and 18, and it's just kind of become a cluster now on this thing a little bit, Pete. Leroy, is there anything different in the tune? Well, Pete was saying something there. Well, okay, so was this tuned already at one point, and then now he's hauling heavy and, and there's an issue? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it was tuned. It was it was tuned when he was uh, hauling a flatbed, running around eighty thousand, going out to California and coming back. And like I said, it's one of the first gen uh, X15s. So we we put that. It was uh it was at six ten, um, and and then uh, Jr. tuned it, and and I think we got him up in that six seventy five range rough and tough but we gave him and he was out to the shop uh it it and and if maybe i'll call you later and give you a little bit more detail but anyway he was out to pittsburgh to saxonburg and jr actually had this truck on the dyno a couple of years ago after we stuck the first tune in it and then jr kind of tweaked it and now his operation has changed feet and he's hauling, you know, like I said, somewhere between 115 and 124.5 on crude oil, two trailers, a Rocky Mountain double. And, you know, I don't know if there's anything we can do. I don't know if there's something we can do. I, I just don't know. So. I mean, what's his complaint, though? I mean, does he feel it's just not uh, doing what he thinks it should do, or is there an actual problem? I mean, that's well, a heck of a jump in weight. No, it's a heck of a jump in weight, but he's got later generation X-15s that are walking the dog on him. The outfit that he's leased to and has... has uh, uh, go ahead. I mean, we'd go back to, let you know, let's check for a boost leak. Let's make sure um, fuel pressure, fuel restriction is good. If the overhead hasn't been set, get that set. Um, and, and look to see if there's any problems. It, it might not have seemed like there was one when he was much lighter. And because he is heavier, he's noticing an issue there. I think that'd be the, again, first place I would start is those things. When it was here, did they, they dynoed it and did JR say it performed as it was supposed to? Did it make the horsepower number it was supposed to that he said it to? Yeah. Yeah, I think he did. And, and, and look, this is second, third hand now. So, but I think Jr. did a little bit of tweaking, and it got that thing dialed in because it at sea level when he was out in California, or even out where you guys are at, the truck had run great. Uh, and he get out here in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and it still run pretty good. Now that his operation has changed, he thinks he should be getting about seven tenths of a gallon better than what he's getting. He's getting 3.8, and the company trucks are getting 4.5, uh, pulling that kind of weight, and they're going, you know, they're going from uh, like Vernal down to uh, Price, Utah. So there's two big mountain ranges down there. So they're they're he, he's gouging on it pretty hard. So he's in the threes. He'd like to be in the mid fours if he could. So. You know, and I don't know if that's attainable with that first generation X15. 
that's kind of where I'm kind of splitting off to the side at once we check some of these other no-cost items as far as like boots and, and, and stuff like that. Now, I will say that his, his boost numbers on this thing are in that 38 range, 39 range on that X-15. I can tell you this. Yeah, so talk, talking to a lot of our clients that have bought 21s and 22s in the 565 range, running catalysts from day one, they're really happy with how their truck's running. Um, right. One guy, what he was telling me and how he's walking off and leaving other ones, and his is still stock. And I was I was rather shocked at that. And that was a Friday, I think, I was talking to him. And so... So I think a couple things to keep in mind is, um, for one, if it's performing as it's supposed to, meaning when he was here, we put it on the dyno. If JR said it's a 675, we put it on there and we confirm it does around 675. The next thing right. is, as you get up in altitude, we have to pull the torque back. So it makes, we have to pull the fuel back as it goes up in altitude. It's mainly right. because the turbo on the X-15 is way too small. It's there for efficiency. It's not for power. So if you wanted to make this guy happier, you're, you're really only a course of action is to change the turbo setup. You should go back to like a 3939 CPL um, ISX 15 turbo, which is substantially larger. Uh, or you could even go as far back uh, as the, like, a, what is it, a 2965 CPL 871 turbo a lot bigger flows a lot more air um once you're able to put more air to it we can put the fuel back in it and he won't have issues at altitude but yeah the the two things you run into is at altitude step on purpose or otherwise the pyro goes off the chart throws check engine lights derates it anyway turbo speed goes out of control or um yeah it's it's just the turbo's too small the root cause all right Leroy, you brought something up. Will that turbo be a direct bolt-on? No. don't think so. Okay. Next question is, does the ECM talk to the older turbo? No. Yes. Okay. And the what, 39, what, not, the, not the other one, right? Okay. okay. What parts yeah, do we have to change? Okay. What parts do we have, you to, have to change? You have to modify the calibration. You have to obviously change the turbo and the um, actuator. You have to change the plug. You have to change the calibration so it speaks to the old one. Um, and I'm not sure as far as the actual mounting, as far as whether it fits on the manifold or not. I believe it does. Um, I've only worked on a couple of them remotely, so I was on the tune side of it. But we've put a couple 871 turbos on... Um, X-15s, and they make a lot more power. Okay. So, so we need to put a so kit together. Doable. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So okay. that's not so bad. Uh, we need to put a kit together so that people will have all the parts, and then they just have to get to one of our remote tuners, and then we can tune it for that turbo. Well, I think I can, once we get the kit on, 
he can drive it over to to me, I think, or I can get the laptop over to him somehow. Uh, so I don't think that's an issue. Um, it's just, you know, it's just mind-boggling that how much that the later generations of that X-15 engine how much better they are doing than that first generation. And I guess it's to be expected to a point, but there's still not one of the, or two of these X-15s that leave the, leave the assembly line, um, the same Is there. I mean, have you guys run across any yet? Some of them run pretty good and most of them don't. So I'm, I'm hearing the new ones run very yeah. well. Okay. Some of it is whether they have driver assist turn on or not, and other ones are just, I think, expectations. Um, some people get out of old school cats. They expect the engine to respond just like that, making sure that it has a snappy throttle. The new ones just don't do that. A lot of it is emissions related. Uh, you know, you can't have the engine respond too fast because then it will produce a lot of black smoke. Black smoke and the DPF don't get along. Um, there's just a lot of stuff in the, in the newer engines that just make them feel lazy. And a lot of times we get people in here, put them on the dyno. We verify they make the power that they're supposed to, but the complaint is still that they're, uh, they're slow to respond. They don't accelerate very fast. And it's just, I think just the nature of, uh, emissions trucks. Okay. Well, and like I said, pulling a train at that altitude, making three, seven three six and hoping for four and a half i mean i don't think that's unreasonable but i i, I don't think he's wanting to make a crazy amount of power either no so let's uh, let's let leroy work on this turbo deal and let's get a kit out to you and you get it on there and let's uh, do some programming and go from there and you get back and let us know how this is because okay. we've been talking about these small turbos for a few years now, so now it's time to make the change. So, Leroy, you got a homework assignment. Yeah, and when you get that put together, just give me a shout. I'll, uh, I'll run it by the customer. There you go. Oh. I think we have a plan. We'll figure it out, guys. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Let's head off to Minnesota this time. John, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Hi, I, I, uh, Leroy. And all you guys there. Um, I got a possible cure for your coach there, Kevin. Okay. What do you got? I think, I think you have everything sitting in your house. You can do a CCA, a closed circuit audio from the back of your bus or coach up to the driver's seat so you can hear the engine. You're right. I probably do have everything I need. I don't know why I didn't think of this. <laughs> I don't really know if I want to listen to that, though. You know? I don't know. Because oh, you know, just, just a nice huh? low tone, low background noise so you can hear how much of the yeah, turbo you're using. I guess I could customize it. I could kind of tune the sound myself. Eh, I might work on this. Yep. Yeah. That's right. You should yeah. do it, Kevin. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, first couple of times I was working on motorhomes and test driving them, I didn't like that aspect. I couldn't hear oh, the engine. It's hard. It really is. Yeah. You have no feel. Yeah. 
I, um, I, yeah, I, the, the sound's important. I just figured you have everything sitting at the house I, because I'm of, sure of I do. How many years yeah. you've been doing the? Uh, how yeah. many years you've been oh, doing yeah. the radio? So yeah, that I could, was uh, just my little hint. So. I'm, I'm pretty sure I could wire it all up in high fidelity stereo. <laughs> there we go. And yep. then, I'll, then I'll then I'll run it through the um, the big audio system I have up front. That should be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There we go. Oh, that was just my idea I had when you were complaining about not being able to hear the engine. So All you right. have a nice day. Thank you very much. All right. Well, it looks like I've got a project. Hey, Kevin, I'll tell you a quick story on noise. You know, we road raced, I road raced a 66 Corvette, but it had full interior, you know, all the carpet, carpet padding. And then I took John Walco's dad's, it was a mid sixties Corvette out, not, not his 427 when he drives in the street, he had another one. And we were in Indianapolis and there was no carpet. My God, the noise that oh, came I'll through bet. that fiberglass floorboard was unbelievable. I'll it bet. made you think you were going a whole lot faster than you were. You know, that that's an so. interesting thing. This The sound can change the perception. You're right, of how fast you're going, of how fast you're accelerating. The sound can make you think something's happening that isn't. That's right. Yeah. That's why these... Young people that buy these little four cylinders and put these loud mufflers on and they have to stand on and make all this obnoxious noise. And uh, I come along in the A8L and just <laughs> leave them. Nice and quiet. Yeah. Nice and quiet. All right. Let's, you know, that's uh, why the A8L at 132 mile an hour, you don't realize it because it's still quiet. You can't hear it. Yeah. If we run out of calls, yeah. I've got some health questions for you. Okay. We can we can do that. We've got one more right now, so we'll go grab it. We're off to Illinois. David, welcome to the program. Good afternoon, gentlemen. I've got a couple quick questions for you, Bruce. But before that, to the earlier caller regarding the disc brakes, I do not know what components the newer trucks have on them as far as wrecking a newer truck, but I have direct exposure to two older trucks where I have wrapped it on disc brake clips and you do not have to add anything to them. You just simply use the existing four-way valve. The hoses plumb up identical. Okay. There you go. On the, oh, same on the same respect, now like the truck that I'm currently running, it has a newer clip that has ABS valves and such, but my truck is not equipped with ABS, so Again, you set the rear clip up based on what your chassis requirements are. So this truck does not have any of the ABS valves in operation, but they're still in line. The air is still flowing through them. I didn't want to take any of that off because this clip might go back on a newer truck where I need those valves. So they're there. The wires are just rolled up and zip-tied underneath the frame rail. And the air flows right straight through, and it does not affect anything. Got so it. hopefully good. that will help that gentleman. Yeah, good info. <laughs> My I... question's for you. 
You you not only uh, helped that gentleman, you helped us, and you helped everybody else that's listening with that one. Well, like I say, now I'm I'm going to guess that if you were retroing a newer chassis, there's probably newer computer garbage and things like that on it. So my application is not going to help them at all. But if you're putting it on an older chassis, it's pure and simple. Okay. Good. My question now to you, Bruce is, okay, the truck I'm running right now is a 96 5EK, built as a true 550. It was built about two and a half years ago. I put a th- approximately 300000 on it, and then I put the power box, the turbo, and the manifold on it that you guys had put on my previous truck. I put all that on this truck. Started running it, and the smile got bigger and bigger because I was running the box on setting six all the time, occasionally going to seven, and and loving it, getting halfway decent mileage. I mean, I was running it hard, but, you know, still with a little bit of uh, respect with the pedal. That lasted about 65,000 miles, and I blew the head gasket. So I... And I'm from Peoria, so I took it into my cat dealer there that's done all my engines. And they tore it open, and they said, well, we could patch it up if you're going to get rid of the truck, but if you're going to run it any time long, you know, any longer than a year, then we need to do it right and do a complete end frame again. So I said, oh, you know, including the head, new head, new spacer, because they said it scored, and I don't know anything about this, you will. But anyhow, they said it scored the... The head and the spacer, that's why they needed to replace all that. So we've done the end frame, including a new cam- uh, camshaft and all the rockers. So the only thing that was reused this time was the crank. Right, so I'm- Hold on one second. What did you set the liner protrusion at? 6,000. Okay, that's good. And the only reason it's said at that is because I've heard you mention that over and over and over. That and what, uh, did, what know, did the Caterpillar mechanic say when you told him it had to be six? Well, he sort of looks at me. We're going through a phase. This this shop has basically had a complete turnover. The service manager and all the mechanics there, you know, they're down to four mechanics and a service manager. And none of them are older than 30 years old. So completely different mindset from everybody else that's been retiring in the last couple of years. This guy, this service manager knows that I don't want to keep anything stocked, but yet I do respect their experience because there is no other decent shopping in the Peoria area. And so he just says, well, that's not what we would normally say to that, but if that's what you want, that's what we'll do. So, you know, great. I mean, because I figured we'd have a fight, but that's what they did. Well, that's what they say they did. But anyhow, they put it back together. I'm now on my second week with it. My question to you, and, it, and it's running good. They reflashed the computer. The power box is not in there right now. It, it's all bone stock. I can get about 28 pounds boost and... I mean, it's running good. I'm not going to complain about it. I can't complain. It's only, you know, a week and a half old. But my question to you is, when I get about seventy-five or 100000 on this truck, 
it'll be time to play again. I don't have too many years left, and I'm going to be hanging everything up. My question to you is, do I throw the power box and turbo and everything? Well, they left the manifold on there, but they did go back with a stock turbo rather than the yeah. one that you, you that, put on that. That's why it's hit 28 pound of boost. Okay. On, um, but my question we, is, do we put the box back on or just have a remote tune? Is there any advantage of you doing a tune on this versus me just throwing the box back on and maybe having the same exact results as we did before? I, I would put the box back on. I would let uh, Leroy or JR look at the tune and uh, just to make sure that the tune is a good tune. And I would change the turbine housing on the turbo to a 145 and then run the box. Well, I still, I still have, I still have the old turbo that. Yeah, I, I know. I'm going to ask them. Uh, but the, I mean, I the old one was, was a 130. The old one was a 132 and we didn't have 145s back then. So now let's open it up and let it breathe a little bit and put a 145 on it. It'll bring up the fuel mileage, decrease the turbo boost, and decrease the internal pressure on the pistons, the head, the valves, and the head gasket. Okay. Yeah, these components were put on a 1LW originally that mm -hmm. was a 98 model. Yeah. Two one LW calls in one in the same show. That's yeah. good. Well, that's that's when I decided I needed to call back in to, to get your advice. Now, should I wait a hundred thousand or no? Wait a at twenty five thousand. At twenty five thousand, it's completely broken. Okay, I'll be getting back with you in a couple of weeks then. So, hey, how old are you? Sixty five. Why do you say you're going to hang it up? If the truck well, fades, because I can just oh, yeah, slow down truck, a little well, bit. Well, just slow down. You don't well, don't truck as hard as you you are. But don't give up. Well, we are getting ready your to, way of making a living. Well, I'm not going to give it up completely. My wife's nine years younger. I was just talking to Kevin yesterday. We're getting ready to buy a Volvo for her because she wants an auto shift. So I'm going to have to stay out here a little longer if just to ride along as her guidance counselor and mechanic. But I'm just, yeah, I run too hard, but I'm starting to get tired and I want to do something else, but I'm not sure what. But I, like everybody has said today, you definitely have a smile on your face when your engine will do whatever you ask of it. Yep, sure does. But uh, so I'll get back with you in, in a couple of weeks to a month and we'll go from there. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right, uh, Bruce, we're all out of calls. All right. When I was on that cruise ship six weeks ago, I had some horrible acid reflux, and I couldn't get anything. And the, the one breakfast bar area, they had ginger juice. And it fixed it. So I've since found some ginger root uh, in a pill, and I take two a day, one with uh, breakfast or lunch and one with dinner. And, my God, this stuff's a miracle worker. And then we have ginger chews that we found in a bag at TJ Maxx, right where you check out. 
And when I go to bed at night, if the stomach doesn't feel quite right, I eat one of those chews. Now, those ginger chews do have some sugar in them where the uh, capsule does not. But I'm shocked at what this ginger is doing for me. Ginger is really good for your digestion, for nausea. It's one of ginger, if you take it properly, is probably as good or better for nausea than almost any drug they have. Uh, the only thing better by far is cannabis, but ginger works really well for nausea, uh, upset stomachs, acid indigestion, which you had. And really what's happening is if you're starting to see acid reflux, it's because you don't have enough stomach acid. It's not too much. Right. It's not enough. So right. some apple cider vinegar throughout the day might not be a bad idea. Um, yeah, if, that if that you does want, help, and I do have it. If you want the most potent form of ginger for this, here's what you do. It requires a little bit of work, but it's not much. It sounds like a lot, but it's really no big deal. You go buy some fresh ginger, cut it up into mm -hmm. like um, quarter to half inch chunks. And this doesn't have to be precise or pretty. You just chop it up, um, put it in like say a pint or a quart jar. A pint will be plenty. Um, kind of pack that chopped ginger into a pint jar. Then take and mix two tablespoons of salt, like pink salt or good sea salt, with water. That's it. Just mix two tablespoons of salt with a quart of water. If you're only doing a pint, you could actually mix one tablespoon um, with a pint instead. It's going to be plenty of brine. And then you just pour that into the jar mm -hmm. with the ginger till it comes to the top. Put a lid on it and leave it sit out at room temperature for at least two weeks, probably like a month. Just let it sit there and it'll ferment. And then just throw that in a blender and it'll blend right down to a paste. Stick it in your refrigerator, it'll last forever. And you just take a little teaspoon of it or so, even less, half a teaspoon, mix it in a little bit of water and take a shot of it. Fix you right up. All right. That's good. I can get that ginger at Whole Foods, right? Yeah. Any grocery store, really. Never carry fresh ginger. ginger. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I go to the chiropractor a lot. Okay. I go to the chiropractor a lot, and I'm, I do a fair amount of deep tissue massage work just to keep everything working. And I notice they both people are using these massagers. So I go into TJ Maxx. I go, well, I went into Target and they were like $179, and you see them up as high as four and 500 I go into TJ Maxx. And I see a little sharper image one for $22. Don't bother. And I saw another one, a bigger one for 44 I bought them both. And my God, do they work good. You're talking and about the impact. What I have, it's like an impact gun, right? Yeah. 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 Those are yeah, nice. it's like a jackhammer. Right. A little jackhammer. So are you familiar with the psoas muscle that comes from around your back and down through your groin? Yeah. It's called the psoas muscle. The deep tissue masseuse girl is always working on that. But when you get up in the morning, you sit in a chair and you go to pick your legs up to put your socks on, if you can't pick your foot up high enough to put your sock on, you have to cross your leg. Well, if you can only pick your foot up about a foot, you take this little massage gun and you go in that psoas muscle you go above your hip and below your hip and then right above your hip on your lower back and then go down the 
outside of your leg and inside of your leg. It only takes a minute per leg. You can pick that leg up two feet. And when you get up and start walking, you'll feel your legs are 10 pounds lighter. There you go. And anytime I get a pain now, I go after it with this little sharper image. And I forget who made the other one, but uh, $22 to $44. And it takes the pain away. Yeah. It's, it's we, been um, remarkable. I don't, I, I don't travel without it now. I just checked. I don't see it in our store. I know I was talking with Lisa about this the other day, and I'm not sure if we're bringing it in or not. We have the, the sauna blanket made by My High, and then we, we like their sauna blanket so much. They have a back wrap that you can put on that's heated infrared, and it's cordless, so you can wear it while you're driving really easy. It's nice. And then they have a weighted heating pad that's also infrared, so it's really heavy with the beads in it. So you put it on and it, it just molds itself around um, whatever you're trying to heat up, which is nice. They make one of these impact guns, the massage guns. And it's a really nice one. It's heated. Uh, and in, Is it heated and infrared? I'm not sure. I know it's heated. Um, I'm not sure if we're bringing that into our store or not. I thought Lisa mentioned something the other day, so I'll check. I got Josh Schaefer one from Turnaround Transport, and I took it to the owner-operator snowmobile conference, and or he brought it to the owner-operator snowmobile conference. We're all sitting around having breakfast, and he's behind everybody, massaging <laughs> their shoulders and their arms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they work good. Yeah. yeah. Last question I had for you. My last order I got from you, you put simply mints in there. You put a ginger in and a Peppermint, yeah. no, spearmint. Okay. So is this something new you're carrying now, simply mints? Yeah. Yeah, I think we've got cinnamon. They're okay. really clean mints, not a lot of sugar in them. So really, uh, it, it's just a nice little treat. So I see the first ingredient is cane sugar, but I guess you got to put a little you bit got, of that in you it gotta anyway, have some, right? right. You got to have some, but it's such a tiny amount, right? Okay. All right, and you do have them in cinnamon. Yes. Because they were good. I, I, I appreciate you giving me those samples because that's a great way to sell that product. Cinnamon's my favorite. If you haven't had the cinnamon yet, that's my favorite. Yeah, that's my, I love cinnamon. Yeah, you'll like it. I even like the cinnamon candles. I like the smell of cinnamon and vanilla candles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think okay. we have, uh, Angie says we have lemon too. I didn't know we had lemon. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, they're good. They're good. We've got, uh, speaking of which, since we um, we talked about the store, um, we also, you've got to try the new almonds we've got in there. The We, Lisa, found the only regenerative almond farm in the world. And they grow this, it's a different variety of almonds. They're small and they're not as dry as typical almonds. They're really good, but their flavor combinations are incredible. And again, really clean, no goofy ingredients. They make nut butters um, that are just amazing. So uh, you should try that. I, if I remember right, don't we have a, I think we have a, was it a cinnamon vanilla nut butter, a maple sugar vanilla? I forget which one it is. One of them, though, is really good. Let me see. Do you sell uh, a ginger supplement? 
No, we don't have anything with ginger. And mostly because I just tell people how to make it yourself from fresh ginger. It's pretty easy. You should make that and I would buy it. I'd rather buy it from you already made. You know, Bruce, the problem with that, believe it or not, um, I'm actually working on a project right now to create that hot honey as a project. And it's a fermented product. But the FDA is uh-huh. so hard to deal with on fermented products. The rules and regulations are crazy. They, even though it's not necessary to refrigerate a fermented product, the FDA requires it to, to always be refrigerated. Have to be has to be refrigerated in storage, shipping, everything. So I did. All right. I, I did look. You have to check the next time you order. We have a cinnamon maple nut butter that is just incredible. Cinnamon. Cinnamon maple. Maple. Yeah. Nut butter. It's really good. All right. All right. Well, I will if, do uh, that. I'll have you ship it to me right after the Louisville show. There you go. There you go. You, if you were coming, I'd just have you bring some of this stuff. I know. Next year. Pete, Ethan, anything you guys want to close out hey, with? Hey, oh, hey, go hey, ahead. Hey, oh, I got one last thing. Sure. I got one last thing. Me and we don't get to listen to many of your health shows. I have a new thought for a CMC. Okay. Let's make two days, two days about trucks and let us have one full day on stage and then other people on the second day. And the other two or three days, let's do it on health. That'd be fun. We've, we've talked about it, and um, it's possible. I'll throw this out. It's just we're, we're talking with show management a little bit. Um, the Louisville Truck Show is after actually shifting. They're, they're making some changes, and, and, and good changes. They want to make the the week a bigger event. One of the things they're talking about is trying to attract other trucking events to Louisville that week. And even that they may bring in and partner some of these with these events. And one of the events we're talking about is bringing the CMC to Louisville that week. Yeah, but then we couldn't that's, we couldn't be part of it. That's the issue we've got to work out. Is it, you know, for the vendors the, and for us? The other is problem is the other problem is it takes if you want to come to the Louisville show and learn and look at a lot of stuff, you'll walk that show for three days. Yeah. And yeah. Then they then they away. wouldn't have time to sit at the CMC. I don't think that would that would work. I think the Louisville show should be moved back two weeks because the weather gets a whole lot nicer two weeks later. That would be a good move, really. And, and you know, the, the difficult part yeah. many times is you just can't get the dates on those, you know, those locations. You're just sometimes you just get locked yeah. into the dates you have. But you're right. That That is probably the week they have that show is some of the most volatile weather in Louisville. I swear, you never know if it's going to be 80 degrees and sunny or 25 and snowing. Right. Or rainy. Or rainy. But if they yeah. just go back two weeks closer to the horse race. I know you can't you can't get too close because that's Louisville's right. biggest thing. Yeah. And, and so you have to stay away from that. But uh, if they could just move it back two weeks, it would help. I, and... 
Well, not that it, it is. Dallas is gone, right? Dallas even exist anymore? Dallas is done. That's what I it, thought. No, Dallas, it Dallas had union no. union problems and they had city problems. Well, I always thought that was a stupid place to do a truck show. Really, downtown Dallas. I don't know why anybody thought that was a good idea. Um, it never has been. It's always been a hassle. But I was going to say the first, I know the first year, maybe even the first two, that show was like at the end of September which was much better for the weather. It was in November, actually. Was it November? Yeah, I knew it was really late. I think it was. Oh, you know what? Here's what I remember. One year was cold. Well, here's what I remember. The the year of 9-11, 01. Um, It was in, it was right before. Because I, the show was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, if I remember, same as Louisville. I hung out on Sunday and Monday. I stayed in Dallas in a hotel room because I had a ton of um, taxes to get done, extensions. And the day after I got home is when 9-11 happened. So I, it must have been a Tuesday. Well, I was, yeah, I was on my home when that happened. Yeah, and, I, and, like, things were going crazy. Like, you had no service. Right. Uh, radio's threatening. They're like, oh, we're going to shut fuel stations down and I'm thinking how the hell can I you know I'm, I'm right. filling up every half tank just to get that much closer to home right um right. yeah that it was, was crazy yeah that was right after well, 9-11 or right before 9-11 I was in an airplane when that happened so we didn't get to hear it we were flying from Dallas from the Dallas show back to Denver Colorado yeah and happened and whenever we were landing in Denver I saw no people no grounds people and when we got off the plane walked into the airport the airport was empty and the guy was on his cell phone and said you're kidding me you're kidding me I said what's going on he's then he told me about the twin towers being hit yeah, I had gotten home the day before, and then my business partner flew that day, and he was in the air when it happened, and when the plane, he was on his way up to uh, Boston, I think, and he landed in Atlanta, and obviously there was no flight on the way to Boston. He had to rent a car and drive back home to Orlando. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so... But I guess that one's just gone, so we don't even have to worry about that one anymore. That's gone. All right. Uh, all right, so we're going to wrap this up. Pete, Leroy, anything you guys want to close with? Nope. Nope, I'm I good. Guess, I guess we're good then. All right, uh, what do I have going on tomorrow? Do I have a guest tomorrow? I'm not sure. I'll figure it out. Um, we'll see tomorrow. It's Destination Health. Thursday will be a free-for-all Friday. Not sure who's joining me yet, but we're here all week. We will see you back here tomorrow. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.